Turkey Call All Access, the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation. Brought to you by Nomad. Turkey Call All Access is a digital campfire where we discuss topics of the day, conservation efforts, tips and techniques to better your experience of field, and our members' stories. Welcome back to another episode of the Turkey Call All Access podcast, and we have a really exciting episode for you all today. We're talking with Dan Kaminsky out of Iowa. I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation, so we're going to get right to it in 90 seconds. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. Hey y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you. Hey guys, this is Aaron with The Hunting Public. Each spring, we head to the woods chasing turkeys, and one overlooked product that we use religiously is Sawyer permethrin. We've used it for years to keep ticks off of us, and it's worked extremely well. We don't like messing around with Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anything like that. So I would highly recommend, if you're a spring turkey hunter, spending any time in warmer climates in the outdoors to use Sawyer permethrin. Learn about their advanced insect repellents and family of technical lightweight water filters at Sawyer.com. Uh, first of all, I, this is an awesome project and it's super cool on behalf of the NWTF to be involved with this. You know, I understand, I think the, the state chapter had uh, a role in it with some of the early phases of kind of getting it off the ground and then uh, getting some national uh, funding to, to help with some of the genetic testing. So I think that's really awesome and we're, we're excited to be a part of what you're doing. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, maybe to kick things off, you want to just maybe introduce yourself and give an overview of your career with the wild turkey and with wildlife in general. Sure. Um, yeah, my, my name is Dan Kaminsky. I'm a wildlife research biologist with the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. Uh, I have been with the agency for uh, about 10 years now, and uh, my, my focus has always been uh, spatial modeling, habitat mapping for wildlife, and I don't have a species-specific focus like much of our uh, much of our research biologists. So I cover things from deer to bats to butterflies to wild turkeys yeah that's a good segue so you know covering all wildlife and this this project is you know it's about predators as much as it is about wild turkeys right uh yes and no um Really, the the focus of the research that we're going to be working on here with the NWTF funds is is to kind of get at habitat. And one of the things that the literature has shown is that predation or nest predation is really linked to habitat quality. And when, when given proper habitat, turkeys 
turkeys know how to avoid nest predation or, yes. or, or mammalian predation. Uh, they, they, they've evolved with those critters. And so really it's a matter of being able to tie in what's going on with this predation and, and what we can do um, to provide that kind of habitat to help them have better nest success. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that, that's something that I hear a lot too, is that, you know, you know typically you would associate, well, first I got a question for you. Is there, is this perceived or is it, you know, documented that there are, there is an increase in pre- predators in Iowa from, you know, less habitat or, or is this like perceived or is there more uh, predators? There there probably are more predators, uh, mammalian predators in Iowa, just with the fact that um, there's been a, a decrease in trapping effort over the last seven or eight years with kind of what was a, a crash of the fur market. Mm-hmm. And so raccoons drive our, our trapping effort. And at one point there, raccoons had gone down to just maybe 2 or $3 on average per pelt. And uh, we've seen a little bit of a rebound with that, but that probably has translated to maybe more um, more of our uh, mammalian predators on the landscape. Now, how that translates to nest predation is unclear. Like just because these critters are out there doesn't necessarily mean that there's more uh, nest predation going on for turkeys or or any other species. But um, it does it does likely uh, contribute that there are more individuals on the landscape and that will get to a point where it will probably balance itself out like if raccoons populations increase something like distemper will eventually bring their populations back in check and so um, there are these other mechanisms out there and it's really complex and we don't have um, all the data on that to be able to explain it yeah yeah and just to kind of bring it back to like we were saying about you know turkey you know there might be more predators but turkeys have co-evolved with these other critters and you know if you're a turkey hunter you know turkeys are good at evading predators (laughs) and so uh but they they need the habitat to be able to do so and um it seems like you know in in the midwest and specifically in southeastern iowa that there's changes in land use there's there's changes that might may be causing uh habitat degradation and uh anyways you know, I just was wondering if you could kind of speak to what initiated this endeavor and sort of kind of give the 10,000 foot view summary of what you hope to accomplish. We we initially introduced uh, this project to help answer some of the questions which, with what's going on with um, declines in turkey production, not only in Iowa, but uh, the Midwest and across Eastern North America. This is not an Iowa specific issue. We see it across Eastern North America that Turkey poult production has declined. Missouri has one of the uh, longest term poult to hen surveys. So we go out in the summer, we count the number of poults that we see with each hen, we get this poult to hen ratio. There was a study out of Wisconsin that indicated that a number of 2.6 poults per hen was what would be needed to stabilize the population. And across what we're seeing across Eastern North America is that we're, we're below that threshold. And in Iowa here, we're averaging about two poults per hen uh, statewide. So we expect that our population is declining. Hunters are seeing it. We're seeing it as biologists. And so really our research is kind of focused on trying to address why we're seeing that population decline. And, and some of these numbers, this isn't, this isn't a, a short 
term decline. This has probably been going on since the late 80s. If you look at that information from Missouri, their trend has been declining since then. So uh, this is probably more longer term. This is probably a bigger issue than just what like the the recent decline in um in the fur market because mm-hmm. that's that's one of the things that I get asked a lot is well how does the how does this decline in um fur trapping affect this? Well it, it probably has some sort of impact on yeah. turkey production, but it's far from the cause. This cause this this goes back much further than just this recent decline in the fur market. Definitely. No, I think that's a great answer. And you, you guys have been kind of active for a couple of years now. And so, like you said, this is this is a long-term study, studying a long-term phenomena. Um, you know, you, you hope to do this for a decade, but going on two years, you know, have you been able to identify which predators are more common and correlate that with the type of habitat that you're finding said predators in? Um, and, you know, you know, I was just kind of wondering, like to date, like what what are you what's the what's what are the numbers starting to uh, show? So we're the first year of the study was a pilot study, and so we're really yeah just in the middle of our second nesting season last year mm-hmm. and this year being the two nesting seasons, and we haven't really made much of an effort to evaluate nest predation. It's a component of turkey ecology. It's not. It's not really something that can be um, managed. Uh, Really the best way to manage fur bear populations is through regulated uh, harvest with uh, licensed trappers. That's mm-hmm. that's really the most effective tool. And so there, there really isn't a great management tool that we can implement other than uh, other than that. And so um, our our focus here is is more just to understand how predation relates to nest um, nesting success and how that relates to habitat. Yeah. So, um, uh, so, so kind of, yeah, oh, go, ahead. go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask, you know, that brings up the question, like, how do you, what do you look for when determining if like nesting quality is good, bad, mediocre, mediocre, and how do you kind of quantify that to correlate it with predation? <clears throat> well, uh, just, just to kind of, to backtrack um the so being that this is a 10-year study we have a great opportunity here to look at kind of all facets of turkey ecology here in iowa and so we're looking at disease by uh we draw blood from hens during our captures um we're, we're looking at survival and nesting behavior and just trying to update some of our population demographics that we that have likely changed over the last 25 years since the last time we did turkey research in <laughs> Iowa. Um, we, we are looking to build a population model that we can use to uh, identify what the primary factors driving population growth or decline are and, and to better ev- evaluate what we need to focus our efforts on to improve um, turkey production. So we've got this multifaceted project and given it is a 10-year study, we can do a lot. And so we are collecting eggs from all nests. So whether predated nests or successfully hatched nests, we are uh, working with Luther College to look at the sex ratio of those clutches to see if the sex ratio is still 
50-50 or if it's been skewed one way or the other, which might, uh, if it was skewed towards males, might be uh, indicative of some reason for decline. Um, we're, we're also being able to swab the eggs for mammalian saliva <laughs> to look at um, more of a quantitative approach for identifying nest predation. And, and that to us is kind of like, um, gets us that well-rounded, all-encompassing um, uh, aspect of our study is that we're, we're really trying to hit on all of the levels of, of turkey uh, population ecology with this. Yeah, and I was reading that in the um, in the proposal, and so I was, you know, not having a, an ecology background. I was interested in the difference between qualitative assessment and quantitative, and I know that using a quantitative, you'll, it'll it'll go through the rigors of science and having, you know, just actual numbers that you can work with and and help you guys better understand. But what is a qualitative, and like what kind of goes into creating a qualitative assessment? that, you know, kind of didn't give, that gave you sort of like a fuzzy or skewed picture, so to speak. Yeah, there's been a couple, there's been a couple papers that have been published recently that have recommended that we need to, as turkey researchers, focus on identifying um, mammalian nest predation or, or predators or, or, or uh, where, where a lot of the focus has been on habitat quality in the past because we know that nest predation is linked to habitat quality to identify some of those um, those mammalian predators that uh, that we can then also tie more at a finer scale down to, mm-hmm. to habitat quality. And so we're just kind of trying to follow some of the recommendations that we're seeing in some of the recent literature with this. But for us, to get a what I, I consider a, a more of a quantitative assessment is actually using genetic techniques to uh, evaluate uh, nest predation by through the saliva left on predated eggs, and that that to us is more of a definitive approach for identifying nest predation. In much of past research, it would be these kind of anecdotal assessments of nest. How was the egg? How were the eggs destroyed? How were they consumed? What were maybe some of the other signs at a nest site? What through my experience over the last few years doing this study, when we have a nest that's been predated, there really aren't a lot of great signs, physical signs at the nest. Uh, we don't typically see tracks. We don't typically see scat. We don't typically see hair at these sites because there's enough litter, ground litter and vegetation in the areas that the eggs are getting consumed, but they're not really leaving other sign other than um, how they've consumed the eggs. Gotcha. And when are you guys going to begin the uh, the genetic testing to kind of see who the culprits are? We're looking to start all of the work on the genetic uh, component of this this summer. So we're in the process of collecting all the eggs right now. We are uh, in the middle of our nesting season currently here, mm-hmm. and we are um, preserving them and shipping them off um, for preservation and for extracting DNA uh, uh, currently and ongoing. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's awesome. And then, Dan, there's there's something that I, like I said, I don't have the ecology background, but I find really interesting. And it's my understanding that, you know, in some cases, and this goes back to the uh, the market for, for fur, you know, there's some instances where you, the more you trap and the more you remove a predator from from an area, as contradictory as it sounds, you can actually increase 
pre- more predators through that. And so it's like very nuanced and you can actually create more predators through increased trapping. Is that true? And, and kind of how does that work? And maybe what species is that more indicative of? Yes. So uh, that, that there is some literature to show that that is true. Um, what, what some of the studies on um, nest on nest predators or have, have shown is that so so take something like uh, some of the papers I have read that have been on coyotes or Arctic fox um, some of the canid predators is that if you remove them at a higher level it actually releases maybe what are considered worst nest predators for uh, ground nesting birds. And so, whereas something like a coyote or an Arctic fox, um, they might take some nest by say, like removing a large portion of your coyote population, you're freeing up these other nest nest predators, whether it's fox or um, uh, snakes or something like that, that might be more effective at predating nests. But with those with those larger carnivores on the landscape, they're maybe suppressing more of those um, uh, worst nest predators. Even though they might themselves predate some nests, they're keeping the the worst nest predators in check. Gotcha. That's really interesting, and that just like adds like a whole new layer of difficulty to being a wildlife manager. <laughs> Um, that's, that's really interesting. I guess I kind of want to go back to the habitat stuff and, you know, I, I drove through Iowa recently and, um, was it 84? I can't remember what, uh, interstate I was going, uh, east 35 or 80. Oh, east to west is 80. Yeah. Yep, it was 80. And so uh, I just noticed, you know, lots of, lots of agriculture, um, you know, development and, you know, obviously that's a challenge for wild turkey habitat. They need a diverse mixture of, uh, of habitat needs and mosaic, so to speak. And I'm just wondering in Iowa, what are some of the biggest challenges, habitat challenges for wild turkeys? And, um, and maybe what are the biggest challenges specifically for nesting habitat? Yeah, it's, it, it's interesting. Uh, when we, as, as an agency, uh, the, 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 the Conservation Commission, the predecessor to the Iowa DNR, when they started reintroducing turkeys again in 1960, it was kind of believed that we needed um, 50,000 acres of uh, contiguous timber to maintain turkeys. Mm-hmm. We've learned a lot about turkeys since then, and we realized that they, they use a much div- more diverse habitat than that. Grasslands are really important for them. Agriculture is really important for them. Um, part of the reason we're doing this study in, in uh, Iowa here is that we seemingly have this, we have this great mosaic of habitat of ag and grass and forest in some of our areas, yet we don't have uh, the higher production that we maybe saw in the, in the 1980s. And so that's one of the things that we want to look at with this study. Um, so some of the challenges that we're facing with uh, turkey production and turkey nesting habitat is probably habitat succession. Um, we we don't do a lot of timber harvesting in Iowa uh, these days, and much of our har- much of our timber harvest was probably conducted in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and so the timber is aged. Our understories are probably getting uh, thinner as canopy. Uh, canopies have closed. So that's one of our our, our main concerns. Uh, loss of grassland. We've lost, um, we've probably lost millions of acres of grassland in the last uh, couple decades. And so just not having that on the landscape, um, 
it, it limits the amount of habitat that turkeys have available to nest in. But then I also look at it is that it it maybe more focuses um, nest predation onto what is the remaining habitat for mm-hmm. turkeys. So there's a lot going on at a at a really a broad landscape level here with uh, turkey nesting habitat in Iowa. Yeah, and, and this this project takes all those factors into consideration. Is going to study them for the next ten years. Correct. So this year we've added on a vegetation component. So at all of our nests, we measure the habitat. So we're measuring canopy cover, um, uh, tree basal area, and trees per hectare. Um, we're measuring. Um, uh, protection cover or the vegetation cover in the nest and the surrounding area around the nest. And then we're also pairing that with two random plots as well to be able to compare what's going on across nest at between the successful nest and the unsuccessful nest and compare what's going on at the nesting site to what's available to turkeys on the landscape. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And, and I know you briefly touched on, um, on a, you know how this is just a comprehensive ecology study, and um, you know the the habitat predation relationship is kind of at the heart of it. But you, you mentioned some of the other, just like the vital rates and just generally ecology aspects. Is there anything else you're like excited to bring up to date in Iowa specifically uh, through this research? Yeah, definitely. The the last research on turkeys, last rigorous field research on turkeys was conducted over 25 years ago and ended in the 1990s. So there, there's a lot that has changed in Iowa since then. And so for us, like with this study, we can update all those various population demographics, uh, hen survival rate, nesting rate, number of eggs per nest in, in brood survival. We can we can update all of those aspects of the study and see how they changed since uh, the last time we did research here in Iowa. So that that's one key component. Uh, on top of that, there are emerging diseases uh, turkey diseases in North America. Uh, one major one is LPDV, uh, lymphoproliferative disease virus. This is a virus that was first detected in wild turkeys in North America in 2009 in Arkansas, and since then has uh, expanded uh, throughout Eastern North America. We've detected this disease in um, uh, statewide here in Iowa with some research we did with Iowa State University, and. What's concerning about this is, uh, one, we know it affects adult survival, is that it will ultimately leave, lead to lesions and tumors and, and death in adult birds. Um, but in domestic poultry, uh, uh, poults and chicks, will uh, it's 100% fatal within uh, about six weeks uh, after uh, contracting the disease. And so that's where our concern is, is that we know it's on the landscape, but there's really not a lot that we know about how it affects um, poults in a wild setting. And so through some of our work, we're drawing blood from hens. Uh, we've been doing some uh, swabbing of uh, uh, birds, uh, cloacal and oral fry, uh, pharyngeal swabs to kind of get a screening of diseases in birds. And so um, that's one aspect, being able to understand how like those diseases are impacting survival and nesting here in Iowa as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, I mean you know, you, you add that to possible the, the the predator effect on population and then you add in LPDV 
and then maybe like loss of habitat and like i don't know it just it seems really cool that you it's such an all-encompassing project that just will be really informative for future management for the bird um that just kind of goes to my next question is you know and this back to the habitat um is you know what from from what you might learn from predation on nests how could that guide potentially you know hypothetically uh future management efforts um for, for both wild turkeys and for predators we're we're hoping that through the nesting work that we're collecting the the vegetation and habitat work that we're doing at the nests and at these paired um, sites around the nest that we can get an idea about what's different uh, habitat wise between the successful nest and the unsuccessful nest or the uh, unsuccessful nest and what's available randomly on the landscape if we can understand how how those dynamics are going in Iowa we can better provide recommendations on the type of habitat we need to be managing for whether it is do timber harvest to open up some canopy cover to to create a thicker understory um, whether it's uh, a landscape scale of providing a certain percentage of grass and ag and forest in an area that uh, better provides birds like uh, everything that they need it from nesting habitat to brooding habitat to, to, to wintering habitat. So hopefully through this study, we're going to get some uh, an idea about what's working for turkeys, say those successful nests, and what's not working for turkeys uh, being those unsuccessful nests. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thanks, Dan. I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head on everything I was looking for. I guess um, do you mind just kind of describing NWTF's role in uh, both from a state level and national level and facilitating some of it, some of the work? Yeah. So the the NWTF has been uh, immensely critical for us to do this type of research. For for us, we're putting we're putting all of our eggs in the um, the basket of getting transmitters and being able to mark these birds and and track them uh that's a that's a very intensive aspect of this study we're trying to maintain a hundred birds every winter with transmitters and so that's really where our focus is as as the dnr right now with this project but for us we're collecting an immense amount of data and we have a, a a whole plethora of things that we can look at with this research and having the nwtf as a partner being able to contribute some other resources we're able to take our data and we're able to start branching out into these different areas of nesting ecology to do different analyses and so a couple of those is is the genetic work that we're doing with the NWTF. And so our state NWTF here in Iowa, they've given us some resources to look at the sex ratio of clutches. And that's one thing that we're really cu curious about. It has not been looked at in Iowa is, is the sex ratio 50-50 here with our, with our nests or has it been skewed one way or the other? With the, with the national NWTF, we've been able to expand that genetic work to encompass looking at uh, mammalian nest predation with our nests. And so we're collecting the eggs. We don't necessarily have all the resources to do all of those analyses, but being able to partner with the NWTF, we're able to, to really do a whole uh, all-encompassing look at, um, at nest, nesting and nest uh, success here in Iowa. Awesome. And then uh, 
Dan, before I wrap it up uh, with one last question, was there anything that I might have missed or you think that would be important to uh, to add to it? Um, the, the project has the project has many facets to it from doing the um, the the tracking, the marking of the birds with the telemetry, uh, with the GPS transmitters. Oh, that's actually one thing that's that's probably um, yeah. worth noting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the last time we did uh, turkey research here in Iowa, uh, we had available radio transmitters, which you, you you put a transmitter on the bird, it gives out a beep, and you actually have to have uh, people on the ground to, to listen to that beep and to locate where those birds are. One of the neat things that we have today, and this technology has, has grown leaps and bounds from when we did this research in the 90s, is that we have the uh, access to GPS transmitters. So each of our adult hens, we're marking, and, and juveniles, so we'll mark both adults and juveniles with a transmitter that collects um, GPS locations. And so uh, they're, they're taking a GPS location on the birds every 15 minutes, which is a remarkable resolution from what we used to be able to do. And they upload the data to the cell network, the, to the GSM cell network, and then we can download that data uh, almost near in real time and, and have an idea about where those birds are, what they're doing, are they nesting, are they starting to cluster GPS points, or are they dead and they flipped over to a mortality because um, uh, some mortality event. So it, yeah. it's really what we can do with these GPS transmitters is leaps and bounds ahead of where we, where we were in uh, the last a uh, couple decades. That's all, and that's what's going to let you know, like where they're nesting and, and how to go see if you know a nest has been predated. Yeah, it's it's re it's really neat to see the data from these transmitters because with 96 points a day, you get this scattering of points around the landscape, and then one day they go and just start clustering points somewhere. And, and you can look at it visually and say, that right there is a turkey nest, and then we'll monitor it. And hopefully that bird will stay there for the next 30 days. If the bird leaves before 30 days, we have a good idea that a nest failed and we can go in and recover the eggs for all the genetic work that we're doing. That's awesome. That's awesome, Dan. Well, I, I, I uh, sincerely appreciate your time today. It's been awesome speaking with you. And my last question is, I don't know if you want to just give a shout out to uh, Iowa DNR or NWTF or any other, uh, you know, people and just kind of speak about how this is a collaborative interdisciplinary endeavor. Absolutely. The, this, our, our research project is uh, led by the Iowa DNR uh, with myself, uh, our turkey biologist, Jim Coffey, and our wildlife veterinarian, Dr. Rachel Rudin. Uh, on top of that, We've received funding from uh, Iowa State University from the Cooperative Fish and Wildlife Unit uh, with Bob Claver, Dr. Bob Claver, to uh, purchase some transmitters in 2021. And then since then, we've also received some um, uh, additional funding from our state NWTF for some genetic work with our eggs. Um, from the national NWTF and uh, for for. Our the, some of this research and then from uh, Turkey's for Tomorrow as well. So uh, we'll be doing some of the genetic work with uh, Luther College. And so it's it's really a, a project where we're, we're trying to branch out and work with a, a diversity of people and groups. And uh, having those partnerships has been really critical for us to uh, do this research and do it successfully.
Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com slash conservation. Hey y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you. Hey guys, this is Aaron with The Hunting Public. Each spring, we head to the woods chasing turkeys, and one overlooked product that we use religiously is Sawyer permethrin. We've used it for years to keep ticks off of us, and it's worked extremely well. We don't like messing around with Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anything like that. So I would highly recommend, if you're a spring turkey hunter, spending any time in warmer climates in the outdoors to use Sawyer permethrin. Learn about their advanced insect repellents and family of technical lightweight water filters at Sawyer.com. 